Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, Truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, Today I point you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before I share some of the words I have for you this morning, I did want to give you a quick update on what the last seven days have been like here at our congregation. Um, on. Friday, that was the 12th of August, uh, Tom Rosengren, who has long, long roots in this church, uh, died. And he struggled for years with an illness, and we had the service here in our sanctuary uh, this past Friday. And it truly was uh, a service that glorified God and really expressed our gratitude to God for Tom. And I would encourage you to keep praying for Ricky and her family. But the other tragic thing that happened this week was that Dick Warnicke, who is also, uh, he and his wife Barbara have long deep roots in the life of this church, had a tragic fall in his house on Thursday. And sadly, uh, Dick died on Friday. And uh, his family are hoping to have a service here in this space on September 10th, but it's it's yet to be confirmed. Um, it's, it's, it's been very difficult, and we know the kind of faith that Tom and Dick had. We know how much they love the Lord. We know how much God has touched their lives. And both of these men, including Dick, Dick always willing to say yes, yes to God, yes to God. I was with him... Um, I think it was on the evening of the 19th, the evening of the 12th, we had an event here to welcome the president of the Bethlehem Bible College and to get an update on what's happening in, in, in Palestine. And I saw Dick there and we were talking and I said, Dick, when are you going to retire? And he said, no, I have no plans, no plans to retire. And that was just his spirit. But we thank God for these men, these brothers in Christ, and we know that in the Christian community, 
while death is a sting, it, it, it hurts, we know that, uh, as we heard in that one song, the grave has overcome death. And I would ask that you pray for these women, you pray for Ricky, and that you would also pray for Barbara, and if you find it possible to reach out to them and let them know that you are praying for them and thinking about them. The other thing I want to mention real quickly, I, I want to just express my thanks to Bob, Bob for just being willing to share your story with us. Um, and really to thank Patty. She wasn't with you there, but in many ways she was a very much a big part of that story. Um, what those stories do is that they open a window for us. We sometimes think we live in a closed universe, that it's all scientifically driven and only what can be verified by empirically then suddenly becomes true. And what these stories do for us, they let us know that the universe is open to this transcendent God who then comes in these mysterious ways and speaks into our lives. And for those of us who are listening, you have a story. And, and maybe if you go back and think about what's been happening in your life, you might be able to notice those places where God is showing up. And what, when we hear the stories of where God is showing up in your life, it, it lifts our faith. It helps us on the journey. So if you would like to, on some of the coming Sundays, come up and share your story with us, we would love for you to do that. We want to be a community that is encouraging each other on the journey. There's so much in the world to discourage us. And when you hear these stories, they say, yay, God. God is on the move. So think about that. Think about that as we go forward. The other thing I love about what Bob said this morning also is that it really helps us to, to hear the story, the scriptures that we just read. We want to talk a little bit this morning about the idea that you, and we could say we, are chosen by God. We're chosen by God. So we want to, if you have your Bibles, you want to open your Bible up to that second that second biggest, longest book in all of Scripture, and it's the book of Jeremiah that you heard just read. The rabbis called Jeremiah the weeping prophet, and it was said that when he came out of his mother's womb, he started his life wailing and crying from the moment that he was born. When, uh, when Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel, he also, within his wonderful work, has this depiction of Jeremiah. And when you look at this man, it's a, it's a posture of despair. He looks like a man who has wept so long that he has no more tears to cry. And I know some of us know what that feels like. You'll notice, at least in the vision of Michelangelo, that that Jeremiah's head is kind of turned to the side. And it almost depicts somebody who has suffered a lot of physical and emotional blows. His shoulders are kind of drooped. They're kind of hunched forward, weighed down. Some would say his shoulders are weighed down by all the sins of, of Judah. He's so concerned about his hometown. His eyes are also cast down as if he can no longer bear to see God's people suffer. 
and the suffering that would be coming. And then you notice his hand is over his mouth as if to say, I don't know what else to say. Preachers run out of words. I don't know if you know this about Jeremiah, but he's a, he's a PK. He's a, a preacher's kid. He's a, he's a son of a priest. His father's name was Hilkiah. And he was born in a little village just south of uh, Jerusalem. And it's said that from where Jeremiah lived in Anathoth, you could see the walls. You could see the city walls of Jerusalem. And where he lives, he's sort of at the edge of the wilderness. And if you keep going past where Jeremiah lives, pretty soon you're going to run south right into the Dead Sea. He lived 600 years before the coming of Jesus Messiah. And it's believed that when he died at an old age, he died in Egypt. Some people wonder when you read, as we heard Fred read that, 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 that story, how old was Jeremiah? You know, he refers to himself as a boy. And there's a lot of speculation whether he was 10, most likely hadn't reached the age of uh, where he would go through his bar mitzvah. He was a young boy. And as a young boy, you know what's on your mind when you're a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy. You're thinking about the games. You're thinking about your friends. You're not thinking about a prophet for God to the nations. And I want you to notice these words. I don't want you to slip over these words because this is a refrain that you see throughout the book of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came. And there's so much just in that phrase because it's always how God works, right? God comes. Doesn't tell you when, but he comes. And the word of the Lord came to me. Dr. Chris Wright has a wonderful commentary on the book of Jeremiah. And he said this, and I agree with him, that that phrase, that phrase, he says, sums up the battle of the whole book. That it's a battle between the words of God and the will of God versus the words of human beings and the will of human beings. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, you have to conclude that the word of God and the will of God did prevail, not the words of human beings and the will of human beings. And then in between that conflict is this boy, Jeremiah, tapped on the shoulder, called by God, armed with the word of God. And what did Jeremiah, what did God say to Jeremiah? The Lord said to this boy, before I formed you in the womb, think about that. Only God could do that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. We don't use that word anymore, but it just means that God said, I, I kind of set you apart for something special. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, almighty God, the Lord of life, tells this boy that he formed him in his mother's womb. 
And of course, Jeremiah had biological parents, but it was God who fashioned him, knitted him together in his mother's womb. And so when children ask, mom, dad, where do babies come from? You don't have to get technical with them. Just tell them babies come from God. That's good theology. It's not bad science either. Because when you think about it, even the natural processes of how a man and a woman coming together and how a baby is formed, we could say that the Lord God made all of that too. From God's vantage point, birth is not our beginning. Can I say that again? From God's vantage point, your birth is not your beginning. Not even conception is your real beginning. In some mysterious way that we don't fully understand, God has personal knowledge of human beings that precede, precedes conception. So there it is, before I formed you, I knew you. The verb to know, the verb to know, it simply means more, more than cognitive awareness. God knew Jeremiah in a way that only God could know him, in a personal way, an intimate way. God knew him inside and out. God knew his schedule. God knew him better than he knew himself. God knew his purpose. And I think David was right when he said these beautiful words, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You are, and I love this word, you are acquainted with all my ways. Amen. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To be known. It's a beautiful thing. If you would just believe it when God says, I know you. Sometimes people see through you and see past you, don't even acknowledge you, and they will only acknowledge you if you're doing something they like, and God is saying, look, you haven't even done anything yet, and I've known you and I love you, and I have a relationship with you. It's a beautiful thing for parents to say this very early, very early, very early to your kids. Don't wait for them to get an A. Don't wait for them to win a trophy. Don't wait for them to let you look good, to let them know that you know them and you love them and you care for them and, and that Jesus loves them and Jesus wants to have a relationship with them. Parents, shower them even now. Let them know that God has known them long before you as parents knew them. These words hold special meaning, especially for mothers who have gone through miscarriages. These words give hope to parents who have lost children in infancy. These words give hope to parents 
who have a few prodigals in the family wondering when will she come back, when will he come back. And you've got to remind yourself that God knows your children and he loves them more than you could ever love them. I think of women who have gone through an abortion. And I even say to those women, listen, God knows your baby. God knows that child. I think this is one of the many places in Scripture where you could go if you want to have an understanding, a biblical understanding, understanding of prenatal life. And if you're upset with me for saying that, we can talk. It's okay. It's hard to miss it in Scripture how God sees us before we're born, before our mothers even know she was, your mothers know that she, the mom, was carrying us. God says to this boy, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, a boy. Jeremiah, you have a purpose. And so do all of God's children. We have a purpose. You know, the beautiful thing I love about this text is that God chooses people based on God's own reasons. He chooses imperfect people. I'm telling you, I even I shouldn't be standing here. But God says, you're going to be a pastor. So how did Jeremiah respond? If you were looking at your text, you look at verse 6, he said, ah, Lord God. Like, what are you talking about? Truly, he says, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Two sort of uh, objections. He says, look, I, I'm not eloquent. And he says, I don't have the experience. I'm only, I'm only 10. I'm only 12 years old. Jeremiah wasn't buying it. And that's not surprising. You know, God has called every one of us here, and we're at various stages of responding or walking away. But this is something about human nature. When God shows up in our lives, we're not always ready so Jeremiah is not the first to respond this way. You remember Moses? What did Moses say when God called him? Moses said, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Didn't happen in my past. It's not happening now. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. What did Isaiah say when God showed up in his life? He said, woe is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. What did Jonah do when God showed up in his life? God said, go south, Jonah went. Or God said, wherever God sent him to go, west, I think it was. Or northwest, and Jonah went south. He ran away. Remember how Mary reacted when God showed up in her life? When God called her name, Luke records that she was troubled and she was afraid. So it's not surprising that Jeremiah felt, 
I'm not your guy, God. I don't think you have the right person. But how did God respond? Look again in your text. How did God respond? God said to him, look, do not say, I'm only a boy. For you shall go to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid. And that's often the biggest objection, hindrance, difficulty that we have when God shows up in our lives and calls us out of our comfort zone. Fear wants to take over. God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then these beautiful words, the Lord touched, put out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said, okay, Jeremiah, you say you can't speak? Well, I'll put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah does what we all do. We forget. We forget that God is not limited by our human weakness because God possesses everything, everything that Jeremiah will need to answer that call. God is saying, I am. I am. I have it. In fact, God delights in using weak tools, weak people to do strong and massive jobs in the name of God. Why? So that none of us can stand up and say, yeah, I know, I know, I, I did it, I did it. No. So that God gets the glory. God's entire workforce, the people of the kingdom of God, are comprised of candidates like the Jeremiah's of this world. Imperfect people called to serve a holy and perfect God. But I want to encourage you this morning, I want you to remember this morning that when God calls someone to do a job, God gives to that person all the gifts they will need to get the job done. Do you believe that? With God's calling comes gifting. And where God guides us, God always provides. So there's a mistake here that I don't want you to leave with. I don't want you to walk out of here with this mistake that all of us are in danger of making. Because when we read these passages, we hear the words prophet and we say, well, God is calling people to prophesy and to preach and to pastor. God is calling people to be a missionary. And so, okay, God, I, I just worked in downtown Chicago in the loop. I'm, I'm in the classroom, Lord, helping kids to conjugate verbs. Lord, I'm just at home cleaning diapers. And on and on we could go, Lord, you, 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 you clearly aren't talking to me because this is what I do with my life. I'm a lawyer, a doctor. I work at the, the coffee shop. And so you want to give yourself a pass. And you say, oh, great for you, Pastor Ray. Great for Jeremiah. Great for Isaiah. Great for the carols of this world. But Lord, just, just this, this is what I do. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that God has called you why did I say that? Because when you look at how God works from Genesis to Revelation, God works through and with people. People. Human beings. 
And so I say to you this morning that wherever you work, whether you're in your home, you're superintendent of a school, you are a nurse, a doctor, whatever you're doing, student, professor, you're a police officer, maybe you're retired, God has called you. God has called you to be his servant. Long before you were born, God has called you. Eugene Peterson, reflecting on this story, just says it so well. I have to read it to you. He says, my identity, as he reflects on Jeremiah and God calling Jeremiah, he says, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. A lot of kids today say, well, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. I want to I find my passion. I want to find my reason for being here. Well, I'm telling you, friends, your identity doesn't begin when you find it. There is something, Eugene Peterson says, that is previous to what I think about myself. And it is what God thinks of me. That means that everything I think and feel is by nature a response. And that's really what our lives are all about, right? It's about response to this great and awesome God. It's the response. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. It begins with God. And so he says this, Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's salvation didn't begin with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah entered the world in which the essential parts of his existence were already ancient history, at least to God. And I love that. I love that. And so I say to you again this morning that every one of us here, we're called. In what way, Pastor? Well, there is what I call a general call. Every one of us here, we are called to salvation. We're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. And if you haven't answered that call, then that is step number one for you. Every one of us here this morning, we're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's call number one. And I pray this morning, if you have not responded to that first call, that you will, because that's where the doors begin to open up. But I also believe that everyone who believes in Christ also has a calling to a particular sphere of obedience and service and ministry. And I want to quote for you what the Living Bible says from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says this, that it is God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives from Jesus Christ. And long ages ago, God planned that we should spend our lives in helping others. Every one of us here has a call. So maybe you're here this morning and you're still trying to figure out God's plan for you. And, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's an appropriate thing to be doing. You, you finished college this year or graduate school and you're wondering, what's next, God? What are you doing next? 
it's an appropriate thing to be wondering about. But let me just suggest for all of us here this morning two possible ways of thinking through what is God calling me to do. First of all, I really believe that one of the ways to discover God's call on your life and the ways in which God wants to use you then is to do everything you already know God wants you to do. Think about that. Do everything you already know that God wants you to do. And I didn't quite get that. My mom would say, Ray, did you take out the trash? Let Barry do it. Do everything you already know. Loving your wife. That's a calling. Treating her with respect. Loving your husband. Do everything you already know. That, that what's in front of me right now. Let me focus on doing that well. Because often, there's a wonderful verse in Matthew 25 that talks about that when God, when, when you take care of the small things, God will make you responsible for bigger things. Take care of the small things in your life because often that's the training ground for how God is going to develop your heart and use you in other ways. Do the things that God has revealed to you some of them are so obvious, it's like the nose on your face. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in prayer. And if, you, if you're not praying well, and it's okay. Join a prayer group. Join a small group. Tell the Lord, Lord, I, you want me to pray, teach me to pray. Reading and studying the Bible. Serving the people with whom you live remaining active in the worship of the church. Can I say that again? Remaining active in the worship of the church. That's what God wants you to do. You don't, it's, it's not when it's, when it's convenient that you become active. It's, it's just doing it week after week because that's what God wants me to do. Do everything you already know. God wants you to do. Here's the second thing I would encourage you to consider. Then you can ask God, ask God to reveal his will to your life. I know my time is up, but let me quickly tell you why this is so important for me. As a young man of 17, 18, 19 years old, somewhere around that time in my life, I was wondering, what am I going to do? I initially started out sort of with the words of my father, you know, you're going to go to law school and you're going to go do this and you're going to go do that. And I, you know, okay, it sounds good. I was going to go do that. And then I, I took the first call. I answered the first call, which was to give my life to Christ as a teenage boy. And that wrecked my life. It did. Because suddenly I began to understand what Paul meant when he says, I'm crucified with Christ. 
It's not I who live anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And that text has just wrecked my life because I started saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Now, suddenly, that was never a question in my life because I thought it was my life. And when I gave my life to Christ, I found my life. And I had the only desire I've ever had in my life is to be a pastor. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Because I believe that's what God has called me to do. I'm not the best. I'm not the greatest. I'm not the strongest. And God's going to sort that out with me when I get to glory. I've never been able to please everyone. But I'm telling you, I'm in the sweet spot of my life. But it doesn't mean God wants you to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that God wants you to be a Jeremiah. But you've got to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with this life that you've given me? It's one, friends. It's one life. Don't waste it. Ask him. Don't take cues from social media as to how to live your life. Don't take cues from what your friends are doing as to how to live your life. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And the Bible says that if you don't know, you lack wisdom. Listen, there's some things you pray about and you say, well, I don't know if God's going to answer this. And then there's some things you pray about, and you just know, you know, you know that God's going to answer that prayer. And the Bible says if you ask God for wisdom, God will give it to you. I know. It's not like winning the lottery. Sometimes you say, Lord, I want to win the lottery. Wouldn't it be great? Okay, there it is. Lord, I need this. Okay, there it is. No, it, it's not like that. But there are some things you ask God for. And God says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. You lack wisdom. You ask God, God's going to give it generously without finding fault. So friends, why is it so, why am I getting so worked up about this? Because I believe, again, that God has chosen to work through people. Walls that are broken down, how are those walls going to get repaired? People. Lives that are being shattered, how are those lives going to be put back together? God works through people. Ministries that need to be launched, that will change lives, that will redirect the course of a generation. How is that going to happen? Through people. A prophet to the nations. I think of Billy Graham as a modern-day prophet to the nations. Billy Graham was far from perfect. God worked through people like Billy Graham. God works through people like you, where you work, where you are right now in your life. Ask him, Lord, how can, I, how can I bring you into my work environment? I was listening to a, a guy who's a school teacher. And he just said something. He didn't know how much those words touched my heart. He's at this high school with other teachers. And they found out that they're all Christians, and they started asking the question, so what does all this mean? We're all here. We're, we're, we're teachers. We're Christians. What does all this mean? It doesn't mean they know the answer, but they're asking the question. Don't be asleep. 
going through life. Wake up, friends. Wake up. Ask God because you don't know how God wants to use you with the neighbor next door, with the person working in the cubicle next to you, with the people who report to you or the boss to whom you report. But ask the question. Do what God wants you to do right now. Ask him. Lord, reveal your will to me. There's a song we used to sing in my church in Jamaica that as a young boy, it just, it, and to this day when I sing it, it's hard for me to hear it and not weep. But when you hear a group of Pentecostals in a Pentecostal church singing that song, they said, oh, to be your hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. That is the heart of what this sermon is all about. That you would have the desire to say, Lord, if you just help me to touch you, if you would just pour your spirit upon me, Lord, and anoint me, God, I will go out and allow others to be blessed. I'll be Jesus to someone. We need that kind of heart and that kind of mind here at First Press. And wouldn't it be something if all of us would go home whether you're 90 or whether you're nine years old, and say, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord. I want to touch you so that others may know and be blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.